And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> if you're new, welcome. I'm Ken. Uh, glad that you're with us today. Uh, Dr. Seuss has been providing wisdom for this series. Here's another part of his book. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest, which is all of our hopes and dreams, right? We want to be best of the best. We want to top all the rest. We want to be a high flyer. We want to soar to high heights. And as we've been saying in this series, God wants those things too. Like God has plans for us and God has adventure and and a future for us. It's the decisions that we have to make in order to get to those places that seem to trip us up sometime. It's the wherever you go. Like, what is the wherever? Where is the wherever that I'm supposed to go with God? As, as the opening video said, if God's will is like the wind, uh, how do I figure out where the wind's blowing? How do I figure out what direction the wind is pushing me? And so we're we're looking at those questions, especially if you uh, believe in God, if you're a follower of Jesus, then Certainly, a part of your thinking should be, well, what does God want for my future? What, what does God want for this decision? What is God's will for my life? Sometimes we phrase the question that way. Uh, one of the most often asked questions I get as a pastor is, what's God's will for my life? I, I'm trying to make this decision. What is God's will for that decision? So we're going to talk about God's will today. And I want to I want to do two things that at first kind of seem like opposites, but hopefully by the time we get to the end, they'll seem like they're complementing each other instead of uh, opposed to one another. Uh, For the first half of the message, I want to try to convince you that God's will is somewhat narrow. In other words, God's will is fairly well defined. It has some very clear boundaries, and anything outside of this area is not in God's will. And then I'm going to come back with the second half of the message. And I want to try to convince you there's also an aspect of God's will that's pretty expansive. Like it's pretty wide open. Before we get there, um, let's, let's talk about this concept of God's will. How do we define it? What is it? And there's a lot, of, a lot of different terms that are used. And I, I want to use two of them just to kind of set up where we're going today. One way of looking at God's will is what we would call God's sovereign will or God's will of decree. Um, As believers, we believe that there are things that God is going to do and He's going to do them regardless of any decisions that we make, regardless of anything that happens in the world. It doesn't matter who the president is or who a world leader is or or what wars might be happening, God is still going to accomplish certain things just because He said, I'm going to accomplish them. For example, uh, we believe that one day God is, bring, God is going to bring all of space and time to an end, and He's going to reveal Himself to everybody. Like everybody is going to know, whether they believe it right now or not, one day everybody is going to admit, yes, there is a God. And not only a God, the Bible says... That one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess Jesus. Like Jesus is King, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus died for us. That is going to happen. And regardless of the decisions you make in your life or I make in my life or other people make in their life, God's going to bring that to pass. 
Like he's sovereignly reigning over the direction of history and is going to bring it to a rightful conclusion. Another thing that God has sovereignly decreed is that people will come to know Jesus. Like God has said, I'm going to draw people to myself, God's, God to himself. I'm going to reveal Jesus to them. Like they're going to commit their lives to Jesus. God is going to, we sometimes use the word save. Like God's going to save people. People are going to be forgiven. People are going to come into the family of God. And there's nothing you can do to stop that from happening. Do you realize that throughout history, whole governments and leaders have tried to stop people from coming to know Jesus. Like they've outlawed Jesus. They've made it illegal to be a Christian. They've made it illegal to own a Bible. Right now, today, there are parts in the world where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus, and you know what's happening in those places? People are still coming to know Jesus. Like people are still accepting Christ as their Savior. It's happening. It's going to continue happening. It's never going to stop until the end of time. As a matter of fact, there may be some of you here this morning, and that's what you need to do. Like you need to give your life to Christ. It's going to happen all over the world today. As people gather to, to worship, all over the world, people are going to commit their life to Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, you should, because it's going to keep happening until the end of time. People are going to come to know Jesus. So there's that sovereign will of uh, decree that is a part of God's will, things that he's just determined this is going to happen and nobody can stop it. Then we could think of God's will as God's will of command. In other words, what are the things that God has told us to do by command? Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Do this, don't do this. This is what it means to obey God. God has a will that he desires for you and I to obey. It's his will of command. Now, different from God's sovereign will, you and I can choose to not obey this part of his will. Like we can say, God, I'm not going to obey your command. We have that freedom right now. But that doesn't change God's will of command. There, there are things that, ways that he wants you to live. That's his will for you. As a matter of fact, this is the part of God's will that the Bible talks about the most. I know that you and I want to know which job should I take? Should I change jobs? Should I quit my job and start my own business? Should I marry this person? Should I marry that person? Should I go to this college? Should I make this decision? When we think of decision-making, those are the decisions that you and I think of. That's just not the decision that the Bible talks about the most when it speaks of God's will. Let me give you some examples. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's will? You know if you're in God's will? Are you rejoicing always? Are you praying continually? Are you giving thanks in all circumstances? Paul says, if you are, you're in God's will. Like you've discovered God's will. Maybe not job A or B. Right? Maybe not should we move to this county or that county. But if you want to be in God's will, Paul says, I know what God's will is like. You rejoice. You give thanks. You praise God. Another example. It is God's will, same term, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Which Okay, that's a church word. It's a big church word. It means... Uh, to be pure, like I, I, morally, ethically, spiritually, to be different 
from the standards that the world often chooses to live by. Like, I want you to be different. God's will is that you and I be set apart morally and spiritually for God, that we would be pure. You know what God's will for your life is? All the time that you be pure, that you obey God, that you walk with God. The verse goes on. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, pure, holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. What's God's will for my life? That I honor Him with my body, that I honor Him in my relationships, that, that I, I live a pure life sexually, morally, spiritually. I'm set apart for God. That is God's will. Now, this is the way the Bible speaks of God's will most often. Are you obeying God? Another example, Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you know God's will? How do you know if you're in God's will? Well, you've got to know God's word enough that you've learned to think the thoughts that God thinks. Like You know how God views things. You know what God's commands are on, on everything. And so you think through the lens of this is what God wants. That's how you find God's will. Now, sometimes I don't know if I should choose door one or door two in decision-making. I don't know if I should choose job one or job two or this opportunity or that opportunity or move here or move there. I don't always have clarity on that. You know what? I always have clarity on God's commands. Always. Like this... The whole Bible outlines, this is what God wants for you. Translation, this is God's will for you. God's will is that you live a certain way. You live a distinct way, a holy, a pure way. And until, until I know the answer to my decision, I can walk in God's will by obeying God. Because here's the reality. I can't be in God's will while I'm in continual disobedience to His commands. Like, I can't be in God's will if there's continual disobedience to His commands in some area of my life. Now, I'm not talking about being perfect. None of us are perfect. Like, we all fail. We all come up short. What I'm saying is, if I can live in disobedience to God in some area of my life and it doesn't bother me, like, there's no attempt to try to bring that area into obedience, then I'm not in God's will. Because I can't be in God's will and disobedient to God's commands at the same time. Another way of, of, of looking at it, God's will never leads us to break God's commands. It's never going to do that. You're not going to be making a decision one day, and one of the realistic options is something that God has already said no to. God's will is never going to lead you to break a command that God has already given us. Now, in this sense, God's will is very consistent. For all the things we don't know about God's will, God's will is very consistent in the things we do know. Because His commands are the same. Whether you're a man or woman or teenager, whether you're young or old or in the middle... Whether you live in 2018 or 1918 or 1818 or 2518, no matter when you live, this aspect of God's will is going to be exactly the same. No matter what country you're from, 
what ethnic group you identify with. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. God's will is consistent in that it says, do this and you're in my will. Obey this and you're in my will. And in that sense, it's somewhat narrow. And the nice thing about it, as I said, is when I don't know God's will for that specific issue, and sometimes we come to that, sometimes we come to those issues, I'm not sure what to do, I can always just keep obeying God until He shows me what to do. I can keep, I can keep walking in His will by continuing to obey Him and giving God the opportunity to reveal His will to me. So, again, in that sense, there's boundaries. I can't go outside of this boundary and still be in God's will. I think what we have to realize is God's plan for us is not just about, oh, the places you'll go. It's about, oh, the person that you're supposed to become. Our thoughts of God's will is always getting to a place. And usually our thoughts are, how do I get to a place quickly? Like, I'm here and I want to get to the next place quickly. God, God is not as a priority as interested in getting us to a place. His priority is helping us become a type of person. A type of person that, that glorifies God. Like this, His thoughts are our thoughts. His desires are our desires. That we want to help expand His kingdom. Like we want to see people come to know Jesus. That we would walk in integrity with Him. God's not so much trying to get us to a place. We think, i got to get married by the time I'm 25. Right? i got to get in a job quickly so I can start building up a 401k. i got to finish school in three and a half years and get out and get into my master's so I can get my job. Like we're about timing and place, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Right? Finishing school in three and a half years, that, that's fine. Uh, getting into your career, that's fine. Uh, getting married by the time you're 25, that's fine. Unless you're one of my daughters and 35 is probably a better time. There's nothing wrong with those places or that timing. We just have to understand that God's not trying to get us somewhere quick. God's trying to make us into a certain type of people. He's trying to develop our heart. He's trying to shape our thinking. He's trying to teach us how do we use our gifts, our hands, our, our passions for things that are going to be eternal. And again, that's kind of narrow. That's pretty well defined. God's commands are this. The other side of that, however, is that if I'm, if I'm obeying God, like if I'm walking with God, if I'm surrendered to God, I think maybe God gives us choices on the other decisions that we make. Maybe, whereas God's commands are very clear, maybe there are choices that God puts in front of us and says, pick one. We talked last week about a process of, of asking God for wisdom and, and seeking wise counsel and doing our homework and 
you know, using our brain and logically thinking through decisions and giving God time, because God works through the process most of the time, giving God time to shape and close doors and open doors. Sometimes we get to the end of that process and there's two seemingly really good choices or three seemingly really good choices. And to choose any of those would not violate God's command. It would not violate my conscience. Like I could see how God could be in any of those. And maybe there are times when God says to us, just pick one. Just pick one and keep obeying me. Just pick one and keep living for me and keep seeking my heart and my direction for your life. Just just pick one. When I was growing up, teenager, college student, I was, I was really serious about my faith. Um, like really, really, maybe too serious sometimes. I was like really serious about my faith. And, and on the positive side, like I, I wanted to know God's word and I wanted to follow God's will and I wanted to follow God's direction and I didn't want to step outside of that. But when I was growing up, when I was coming along as a teenager, one of the phrases that got used a lot was the center of God's will. This phrase was used a lot when I was a teenager, and you, maybe you've heard it. And so people would teach about this, and we'd go to camp, and we'd hear, like, you need to be in the center of God's will. Like, all I want, God, I just want to be in the center of your will. And so to a teenage boy's mind, or a college student's mind, who really does want to live for the Lord and sees God using his future in some way, in my mind, what that translated to was God's will was sort of like a bullseye. Like, it had this really small center right here. Like if you were in the center of God's will, then you were here and you weren't anybody, anywhere else. The problem is, hitting this is really hard. Like, I, I don't do archery. Um, I know some of our students do, some of our kids do, and they do competitions. Some, some of you probably hunt uh, with a bow. Uh, I, I don't, but I can appreciate how difficult it is to hit the bullseye, like the center. Uh, it must be difficult because there are competitions all the time, and if it wasn't difficult, then everybody just hit the center every time and everybody went first place, right? That wouldn't be much fun at a competition if 50 people all won first place. But the reason you can have competitions is because it's, it's not easy to hit the center. And there are all kind of variables that go into it, you know, wind and, and strength and velocity and, and muscle tension and muscle memory, like all this stuff. Uh, barometric pressure, I don't know, humidity, whatever. All this stuff goes into whether or not you're going to hit it in the center. And it is difficult to hit it in the center. Now, as, as I was growing up, that became my impression of the will of God. Is that it's this one little tiny spot and you better hit it every time. So my thought became, man, it's really hard to find the will of God. And all of this out here is the sort of will of God, right? This is the center of the will of God, but all of this is the sort of will of God. And if you're out here, you know, if you're an eight or a seven or a six, you're in the sort of will of God, and God's okay with that. Like, he'll pat you on the head and say, good boy, but you're not in the center of God's will. 
So that means you're not going to experience everything you could have experienced if you were in the center of God's will. For example, if you, if you chose a job that was sort of in the will of God, but it wasn't the center of God's will, then you probably weren't going to be as fulfilled as you would have been if you'd picked the center of God's will. Now, your benefits package is probably not going to be as good. You're probably not going to have as much vacation time. It's, it's going to be okay, but not as good as the center of God's will. If you picked a college that was sort of God's will, but it wasn't the center of God's will, your grades will be all right, but they're not going to be as good as they would have been if you'd have been in the center of God's will. You're not going to get that business internship you wanted because that internship was offered to people who were at the college in the center of God's will, and you're not there. The girl that is in the center of God's will for you to marry. You're never going to meet her because she went to the college that was in the center of God's will, and you're never even going to meet her. Somebody else is going to meet her, and you're going to marry somebody that's like a six, (laughs) so to speak. You see what this does? And and this is how I thought of God's will. Like Every every decision is like this big thing, and if if I miss it, well, then all of those things that I was supposed to experience, I'm not going to experience because I'm not in the center of God's will anymore. So I, I began to think as I was growing up, it's really hard. You got to be really careful. But then, then I had another thought that not only is it hard to find the center of God's will, but it's hard to stay in the center of God's will. We put together a little video to help you understand this one. I'm here at Rockdale Gymnastics. Uh, In just a couple of hours, this place is gonna be full of kids. Preschool kids and elementary age kids and teenagers and college students. Uh, They're gonna be flipping and cartwheeling and running and jumping and on the uneven bars. Specifically, I'm on the balance beam here at Rockdale Gymnastics. And in just a couple of hours, Little girls are going to be standing on this, and they're not just going to be standing. They're going to be walking and, and running and cartwheeling and jumping and flipping and landing back on the balance beam. Now, I'm not a little girl. It's taking all of my concentration just to stand here and talk without falling. There was a time that I thought of God's will as a balance beam as a narrow path, and you had to be really careful. Because if you were on God's will, one wrong step, and you would fall out of God's will. If you lean too far to the left or the right, you would fall out of God's will. If a gust of wind came, you would fall out of God's will. And if you fell, it was a long way down you would probably have trouble getting back up on the balance beam at that point. And even if you climb back on God's will, you missed that whole time when you were out of God's will. Now, maybe I didn't think specifically of it as a balance beam, and maybe you don't either, but I think in a lot of people's minds, God's will is that narrow, you have to be really careful with every decision sort of balance beam. Problems, of course, are that makes you hesitant. It makes you paralyzed. 
It makes you anxious and worried about every step. And am I, am I putting my foot in the right place? And am, am I not going to fall off? And that hesitancy can cause us just to avoid making the decision, to, to stand still. But that's not God's will either. I mean, God's will is for us to not just stand, but to, to walk and, and to run and to, to jump and to, and to flip. What I found was my fear of missing the places that God wanted me to go sometimes caused me to miss the places God wanted me to go because I was so afraid and so hesitant to make the wrong step. Just so you know, I nailed the dismount. I don't know why they turned the video all so soon. That was the struggle that I found myself in. On the one hand, I thought, man, it's hard to find God, the center of God's will. And then on the other hand, it's, it's difficult to, to stay in the center of God's will. But then I realized the Bible never uses the phrase, the center of God's will. Feel free to read it. Read the whole thing. The Bible doesn't use the phrase, the center of God's will. God just, it, the Bible just tells us what God's will is like. like. If you're in God's will, these are the sort of things you would be doing. This is the kind of person you would start becoming. There isn't this pressure of, it's very small, and it's very hard to find, and it's very easy to fall out of, and it's very difficult to climb back on. The Bible never uses that phrase. And so, at some point, I, I grew up, and I realized that God had not painted a bullseye for me to try to find. God had not given a balance beam for me to try to stay on. God was a shepherd who leads his sheep and helps them know where to go and where they will find nourishment and where they'll be healthy and where they'll thrive. God was always leading me towards His will. If I, if I was listening, like if I was willing to obey Him and listen for Him and had a desire to honor Him. I look back at my life, and I can honestly say, there are some decisions that I've made in my past. I'm still not sure 100% that I made the right decision. I look back at big decisions that I, that I made. And for some of them, I think, you know, the decision worked out fine. God was with me. God got me here, and I'm so glad, but I probably could have made a different decision, and that would have been fine too. I probably could have chosen B instead of A 20 years ago, and that maybe would have set me on a slightly different path, but if I was walking with God on that path, like if I was obeying God on that path, if I was seeking God on that path, that path would probably be okay. And I love where I am today. I love where all of my decisions landed me in April of 2018. I love my family and my kids and my wife. and I love everything about our family. I love the ministry that I get to do. I love the fact that we're here together and like journey is a thing. Like I love this, but... 
I also think that I could have made some different decisions and landed in some different places. And as long as my heart stayed true to God and followed after God, that, that'd be okay because the shepherd would keep leading me. And maybe I would have landed here anyway. I don't know. What I'm saying is, as we pray for wisdom and as, as we take steps forward, and as we keep our lives within the boundaries of the commands of God, as our desire is to glorify God and be used by Him, maybe we don't have to stress out about every decision. Maybe God narrows things down and sometimes says, just pick. I'll still be your shepherd, A or B. Just pick. As parents, we know that part of the process of maturing for our children is that they learn to make decisions. And they learn to live with the consequences of the decisions that they've made. We, we know that as parents, that that's a part of growing up. I mean, part of the tension right now is that there are parents who won't turn decisions over to their kids, right? They have juniors and seniors and college students and mom and dad are still trying to make all the decisions for them and the kid never grows up. Like the kid never learns to make a decision. We know that learning to make decisions, be responsible with decisions, is a part of growing up. So why wouldn't we think that's a part of spiritually growing up? But sometimes we seek after God, we eliminate things that we know God doesn't want us to do or paths that He doesn't want us to take, and then God says, you pick one and let's go. You pick one and I'm going to lead you. Uh, Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes a, uh, a perfect sort of balance of these two ideas. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Follow, follow what you, you feel inside. If you're at a crossroads, like, what are, you, what are you passionate about? Like, where's your desires leading you? And as you're making that decision, just remember you're accountable to God, like, Remember that, that God's still God. You're not God. So seek His wisdom. Understand you're, you're going to be accountable to Him on the other side of this decision. So keep your decisions within the commands and leading of God. But yeah, go do it. I follow your heart. I fo follow what's in front of you. I'm not saying that decisions don't matter. I'm not saying just do whatever you want to. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying follow the process of seeking wisdom and getting counsel and studying God's Word and desiring to honor God. But there are going to be sometimes you come to a crossroads and God's going to say, either way. Either way, I'm going to be with you. Either follow me, have a heart for me. Either way. Now, in order to get to the point where we can get comfortable with that, in order to make really good decisions, you and I can't elevate every choice to the level of major life-altering decisions. And maybe we don't all do that, but some of us do. Like, every decision is a big deal. And as your friend, can I just say, every decision is not a big deal. Like, the universe isn't going to shift every time you make a decision. It's not. Your life 
isn't going to change in some cosmic way with every decision that you make. There are big decisions that you and I have to make. They're just not all big decisions. I don't think God has a center of His will for where you eat lunch today. I just don't think He does. I think He wants you to eat. Enjoy it. Pick something you like, something that will nourish your body. And I know that's a really simple example. But for some of us, every decision is this momentous thing. And maybe, maybe they're not all that big. Because what happens is, when you and I burn emotional energy and physical energy, relational energy, and spiritual energy on every single decision, then we don't have any in reserves for the really big ones we need to make. We don't have any spiritual energy for the really huge decisions that are going to come. And we're all going to face really huge decisions. But if we've elevated all of our choices to big decision, we're not going to have the energy left. There really is such a thing as decision fatigue. Maybe you've read about this. Like science has realized that decision making takes a little bit of energy away from us. Every decision that we make, big or small, takes a little bit of energy away from us. And if you're constantly expending energy on small choices, then you don't have much left over for the big ones. You, you may, have, may have read about this. Uh, there are some people who made, have made the decision to wear the same thing every day so they don't have to make that decision every day. Uh, most notably, Steve Jobs uh, was that way. If you ever saw Steve Jobs, he was in blue jeans and a mock turtleneck, right? Even when mock turtlenecks went out of style. Steve Jobs still telling you about the new iPhone, black jeans, mock, mock turtleneck. The other one is Mark Zuckerberg. Matter of fact, Zuckerberg posted a picture of his closet a few years ago. This is what Mark Zuckerberg's closet looks like. It's either a gray t-shirt or it's a gray sweatshirt unless he's testifying before Congress and then he finds a suit and tie for that. That's, a, that's another discussion. But what they figured out is there are just some decisions I, I, like I don't need to make. Now, I'm not saying you should wear the same thing every day. We'll probably talk behind your back if you do. But what I am saying is that if you elevate little decisions to big, huge issue every time, you're going to be worn out and not have the spiritual energy you need for the really big decisions in your life. So for some of us, you need to relax. You need to, re- you need to trust God. You need to trust that your shepherd is leading you and guiding you forward. He's not leaving you alone on a balance beam or a tightrope. He's not tempting you to fall off. Your shepherd, your father, is walking along with you, and he will guide you, so trust him. Now, some of you are too relaxed. All right? It's like some of you need to pray a little more. You need to get in the process of decision-making. But I think for some of us, we just need to trust. We need to trust that God wants me to find the right path even more than I want to find the right path. And he's my shepherd, and he's my father, And I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep obeying Him, and I'm going to keep trusting Him until He reveals the answer, and then I'm going to follow Him through that answer. Because here's the great thing. On the other side of this decision that I'm making, God's over there too. God's on the other side of the door too. He's my shepherd on the other side of the door. 
He's not just helping me make this decision and kind of pushing me through the door and walking away. When I walk through the door, guess who's with me? He's, he's with me. As we get comfortable with his leadership, as we get comfortable trusting him, then we develop a life of, of praising him. Like, thank you, God. Like, we get to a point where we can look back in our life and say, gosh, he was there. He was there. He helped me make that decision. He was with me on the other side of that decision. He was a shepherd. He was a father. And it results in a life of glory to God, a life of worship, a life of thank you, God. What Paul said, it's God's will that he would be grateful in all circumstances. When you walk with him long enough, when you trust him long enough, that's what your life becomes. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in many ways your word is extremely clear about what your will is and how we can fulfill it and how we can live in it. God, you've given us commands. You've given us thou shalts. You've given us thou shalt nots that are very clear. And we know that being in your will is living according to those. But God, thank you also that when we need to know A or B, door one or door two, you're with us at that point too. You're with us as a shepherd. You're with us as a father. You want us to make the right decision. And sometimes you're okay with a couple of different options. Sometimes a part of us growing up spiritually is stepping forward, saying yes, making a decision, and trusting that you're going to be with us on the other side of that decision. So help us to think like you. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.